Saying low, Apple Music. Arcade Fire are the subject of this week's podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Zane Lowe, and this is my interview series. Wynn Butler started Arcade Fire with a group of friends and really took the music to all of us, took the experience to all of us. Those shows now legendary. You'd often find the band out in the middle of the crowd finishing off in some kind of impromptu organic drum circle while all of us are singing their songs with the band loudly as one community. That's a key word here, community. And you can hear it in the brand new album, which is aptly titled We. So who was Wynn Butler in 2022 after everything that's changed and happened? And what about his brother leaving? And what about the sound of the new record? And what about new live shows? And what about the NBA All-Star game and his injured knee? All of that and a whole lot more unveils itself right here on the interview series. My guest is Wynn Butler. Great to see you, man. Yeah, how you been? I've been good. How you been? Anything big happened the last couple of years? <laughs> you been chilling? Yeah. I'm Jared Little. I went on a meditation retreat and came back and what yeah. changed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone said something to me which was so ludicrously off the cuff that I could barely repeat it. But I, I, it made me feel so sick to my stomach, but I kind of, I don't know how I felt about it, but they just said, how was your pandemic? And I was like, is that where we're at now? It's just literally like, how was your summer? Yeah. Like it's been a crazy thing. And um, I do everything I can when to not dive into pandemic speak. But when I haven't seen some of my favorite musicians for some time and all this has happened, um, there are particular circumstances where I'm willing to break that rule. So you emerge with beautiful music, but overall, how was the last two years for you? Well, we were, um, I mean, we were in New Orleans. Um, it was Mardi Gras and we we, we hadn't played Actually, at that point in a while, we've been, Regine and I have been writing a lot. And so we went in the studio um, and we had just started, we had, we were working on, we had the Age of Anxiety. We had the, like kind of, we did a, a great version of the first three parts of End of the Empire and then checked our phones and they were closing the borders to Canada. And, and, uh, and so it sort of felt like, um, like the plane had taken off, like we, we were kind of already going and then. The Earth was on fire, mm. but we were already flying. Mm. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was the next. I mean, I, Regine and I were, you know, we basically um, were with our engineer, and we have a studio in our backyard, and we just, you know, we did, we weren't really sure if and when we were going to be able to get together with everyone. So we were just sort of working as if that was it, you know. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, definitely. Um, very inspired, inspiring time, also, but also um, a lot of frustration. Fine line between those two things, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Often one feels the other. Um, yeah, and, and the, you know, the themes on this record that are so dialed in, I think if people took a look at the track listing before they heard the music and, and maybe even checked out this conversation, would assume that they, would, they were attached more specifically to the last two years. But we, how convenient it is that we've forgotten that anxiety depression claustrophobia agoraphobia all the phobias have been just simmering long before the pandemic they're just byproducts of the modern age no the world before i mean just before the pandemic was a really strange time as well i mean just the um all of all every it was already sort of all in the world i think sometimes when you're like in order to write music, you sort of, you have to have this antenna, antenna up that kind of picks up little signals from the future and signals from the past. And, yeah. um, 
And so I think, I think a lot of times we're just getting these like, um, like aftershocks of things that are about to happen, sort yeah. of like in both directions. That makes sense because yeah. so many times I've listened to great records that just seem to predict to some degree what's happening. And no one's put it that way. But you're right. Your antenna has to go a little higher in order for you to be the most open you can be at that moment, right? It's sort of scary, actually. I mean, at one point, um, because I was so sort of wide open when it all came down, um, and I, I just I had a really um, I had a really gnarly knee injury, like basketball injury. I dislocated my kneecap just before, so I was like, "That's you out the All Star game." I mean, I could still. I'd be fine. <laughs> you see, all you got to do is just, <laughs> pre, you just got to prod Big Bird Butler over here and he'll get out yeah, on the court and scrimmage. Yeah. Trust. Yeah, I'd be fine. Um, <laughs> it's hard watching all these kids that, must claim, be that claim to play basketball. I know, I know. Like, I wondered about that. You haven't been present. I wonder why you weren't present in the last one or two that have kind of ushered their way gently onto the court during post-quarantine. I was yeah. like, where's when? You know, he's an all-star 10 years running and I guess you're still nursing the knee injury, but that's no, nothing more frustrating than an armchair player. Yeah, no, knee, the knee's good. <laughs> so we can expect- the heart, the heart is strong, the knee is good. <laughs> so we can expect you back in no time, dunking on all these young bucks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jack Dunking, ha- right. Jack, Jack Harlow, you're- f- <laughs> I mean- he seems like he can kind of play. <laughs> Pretty small, though. <laughs> so getting back to it. So yeah, getting back to the injury. Seems like he likes playing. He like, <laughs> like that's the best that's, one. That's, that's that's what you say. Like if if you that's see a worst. band, if that's, you see a band that that you say so seems like you guys are having a really good time up there. So I used to get this when I would. De- <laughs> I used to get this when I was a DJ, right? If I would go up there and I get on the mic, which was not approved for a while during DJing. It's like, if you didn't have your head down and just let the music do the talking, of course, I'm coming from a different place. Yeah. I come off the stage and every now and then someone would be like, look like you had fun up there. And I'd just yeah. be like, that's go, the worst. go f*** yourself. Yeah, if anyone ever says that to you, it's like- Be under no illusion. Yeah, be under no illusion. No, I'm kind of outing myself. It's going to be hard at festivals now. Oh, you know I'm going to see you, right? <laughs> at some point in the next 12 months. like you had a really good time up there. You guys look like you had a great time up there. I apologize to anyone I said that to in the past. <laughs> I'm going to say it to Jeremy and then he's going to come out to him and be like, Zane said the strangest thing yeah. to me. Because <laughs> I was having a terrible time. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this album is called We. I mean, you could have literally named it any of the song titles on this and you've always been good with titles. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one I feel just could have thrown them all up. You know, End of the Empire, The Lightning, Age of Anxiety. You actually chose the most simple sounding title, but it's one of the most complicated to achieve. We is hard. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's, um, I'm a, George Orwell is sort of one of my great heroes. And he, he has a book, he has an essay called Why I Write that I read when I was 15. And um, in it, he says, never, never use a long word if there's a short word that means the same thing. And to me, like, we is one of the most meaningful words with the least number of letters. So it's sort of, it sort of, there's, it's a very potent word. It could be, I mean, it's, it's tough to define as well. It is. And yeah. it's, it's, when you think about being in a band, Arcade Fire always presented a we aesthetic right from the beginning as a band. It was very clear. You moved as, as one unit. You would go out into the crowd. You would bring the music to the people. You would break that barrier, that wall down. We, I've always felt, lends itself to Arcade Fire. But there's also a natural me that comes from being 
an artist in particular, someone who's up the front of a band, like, you know, we make it about you sometimes. And I sort of wonder, like, how the process has been for you to sort of let go of yourself a bit to get to that place of we. Well, I mean, my songwriting partner, Regine, I mean, we we met um, 20 years ago, and from the first time we hung out, we wrote, we, you know, the first time we hung out, we wrote a song called Headlights Look Like Diamonds, and we've been sort of writing. And um, I think that, you know, Regine's family is from Haiti, and she, but she grew up in Quebec, and, and I, like, I felt, I grew, was growing up in Houston, but I was not from Houston, and I, I always felt like an alien. And I think Regine sort of had a similar experience, but coming from a totally different cultural landscape. And, um, you know, I, I think that without painting in too broad a strokes, but I, I do think that, like, women are able to be a lot more selfless in a social sort of situation. I, I think that she's always just completely served the music. And, and um, I think that the two of us together we never wanted it to be about ourselves. Like, even though we, you know, we write and, and feel a lot of ownership over the material and the writing, it was always more interesting to me when that, when that would get sort of filtered through the collective and we were always searching for musicians to play with and, and to, to, like, find that sort of synergy. Because, I mean, a band, a band is really a gang, you know? And it's like, you kind of have to, like hanging out with each other and it's like there has to be something that 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 transcends just you, you know i'm good at the bass i'm good at the guitar here's the result here's the yeah because it, it's, it's always more is it's a very can be a very fraught and difficult process but at the other end when we get up there and we're playing and the band is really kind of humming it sort of transcends like to me that that's sort of like the I've always thought of it as the song is in between the audience and the band and we sort of meet in the middle. Mm. And I think the song passing through the band is part of what, like, it's almost like a translator chip, mm. like, so for the common humanity of the audience and the band. And I think that ultimately, I mean, that's why to me, it's like we spent so much effort on LPs, like on really trying to make a record that you play, start the, at the beginning and play it to the end. Mm. Because to me, the stuff that changed my life were records. Because if you can listen, like if I can sit down and listen to Hunky Dory and be David Bowie, like be inside of his head for 40 minutes, it, it, it gets me more in touch with my own humanity by being in touch with someone else's humanity. And so it ultimately makes me, um, it increases my humanity in a way that just listening to a single doesn't because it's like you're living inside the head of an, of another artist. And that's like how, ultimately, that's one of the deepest ways you can kind of connect. Well, you got a chance to connect with him. Uh, it always blows my mind when I talk to artists who herald their heroes and remind themselves and us in conversation that there was a time when you were thousands of miles away from that person, but yet there was a connection through their music that made you feel close. And then somehow those miles evaporate. And it happens over and over and over and over and over and over again. In fact, everybody I've ever spoken to has ultimately charted a pathway to the people that ultimately put them on that path in the first place. Well, you know why it is? I mean, Regine said this the other day. It's like, if you're in the desert and there's a watering hole, 
you have all these fantastic animals that show up at the watering hole, but they're all there for the at the source. So all, all we're all going back to the source. And so if you find yourself in the company of these other artists, it's because you're all drinking out of the same, you're all drinking out of the same well. Yeah. So you look over and there's an, this incredible diversity mm. of life, but they're all there for the sustenance, which doesn't doesn't come from the artist. The artist is the artist is just searching for it. Janelle Monet also put it in a way I love to quote, which is that when she first walked into a room and heard Stevie Wonder playing her song in a sound check, and she had never met him, I was trying to figure out what that meant. And someone had sort of said that it's, or she said that it's like he was reflecting me. But through himself, because he heard me, he heard himself in me. And so in many respects, it was like this kind of beautiful human trade of like, oh, I, I hear how I've inspired you. I, it makes sense to me. So let me ultimately naturally repay because we've found ourselves in a common I ground. I mean, the wild thing when we met Bowie, so the first time, our first real headline show in New York was at the Bowery, which we just played at the Bowery again um, recently, Bowery Ballroom. And David Byrne and Bowie came to our first show, first headline show, which was insane. Did you know beforehand they were there? No. Thank goodness. No. <laughs> I saw him. I saw him up in the balcony. Wow. Um, but I don't know. He must have been like maybe in his 50s then, Bowie. And David Byrne, you know, a little bit younger. Like, what the f- were they doing at that show like why were they going to an indie rock show at the bowery they so much other sh- they could be doing you know but they were still both of them were are so hungry for for music and just and and excited by culture and genuinely like just hungry yeah and i think that sometimes like you know as i get closer to the age that they were when i met them it's like it's important just to show up yeah and just to just to be interested and just to be hungry and be curious and there's a song called uh, rabbit hole that we were that there's sort of a bowie reference on it uh, plastic soul is what he called fame um the music on fame and there's this sort of like lyrical reference to him and in our we have this it was like during the pandemic and we have this little maybe 100 square foot studio in our backyard mm. and uh there's a portrait of him on the wall um, it was a pretty heavy loss when we lost him. It was definitely hit me pretty hard. Mm. And um, when your heroes die and you're trying to see your life through their eyes, you know, and and uh, I was singing the first take and I was just in there with my engineer and I heard like kind of in my headphones in the back of the room, I heard this like sort of whispery, weird sound and we were, we both heard it. And we're like, "What's that?" And my phone was like on the other side of the room, and it just started playing of its own accord the song, a song off low, that was in the same key. And it was so like it wasn't like on a playlist. It was some it was some random song on low, and we we were both just like, "What the hell was that?" And it, it you know I don't even believe in that sort of shit, but it, you know it's fucking New Orleans. How can you and, not? Yeah, you're just like, okay, how that, can that was you really not? Strange. And so then the other day when we were playing in New York, we're playing Rabbit Hole for one of the first times. And I mentioned, I'm like, oh, this is like where we met David. And he was up in the balcony and Regine's playing the intro, like this really still piano intro. I'm like, I'm like, hi, David. Uh, Like, hope you're doing well. And the 
the digital piano just cuts out in the middle of the chord. So fucking weird. Like it's this big sustaining chord and the piano just cuts. There's a fucking video of it. I'll I'll find the video of it. And and we're just sort of like I don't even know if anyone noticed, but Regine and I we looked at each other and we're like, "What's up? <laughs> like, how's it? You know? How can you not I, feel comfort? From I don't that? believe in ghosts, but I believe in David Bowie. Do you Bowie. not though? Do you not though? I mean, I would. I really thought that as a band who has done so, such a great job of creating ghosts with these songs, yeah. wonderful images and ideas of things that flow th- from the past to the to the present, to the future, and decided to settle in New Orleans, which makes no bones about its history within the spirit world. Yeah. How do, how can you honestly sit here and say you don't believe in ghosts? Well, I mean, I'll tell you what I, I do believe. I believe, I believe the music is a spirit, mm-hmm. like is an actual spirit, not a, not figurative, like an actual spirit. And I, um, when I was visiting my parents, my mom's a harpist, my, my, my grandfather played with Duke Ellington and and was one of the first jazz guitar players in the world and and was an ama- like the reason that I'm sitting here today. And my mom is a beautiful uh, harpist, and my whole childhood when I would come home, she'd be playing the harp practicing. And when I was really little, and I you would, would walk into through the front door. I walked in that. the front door, and wow. my mom would be playing Debussy or whatever, wow. you know. And wow. I'd be like, "Mom, that's so annoying!" Like I was, <laughs> I was just the worst. And but when I was really little, I would when we still lived in California, I would put my ear on the on the soundboard of the harp. You know, it's like a big instrument, so I would like lie like that, and she would play. And I would when I was just visiting my mom, I. I was sitting by her harp and I put my head on the on the harp and plucked a string and it was the most surreal like you know when you smell something or you taste something and you go it was it was like I was a child and it was like the vibration of the string on on my brain it was like that's where it entered me it was like literally something got in me and it was like when I did it again as an adult, this is just like uh, last this last summer, it was like an out-of-body experience. I was like, oh, sh-. That was the moment. Like it just, something got in me. Something just got in me. And it's like, like not, not a figuratively, like, like literally. I don't, I don't understand why that is or what it is, but it's just like, and there's a common thread in the people that I've, there's different types of musicians. There's musicians that, are talented and have great voices and love really want to play music and when they're done and people applaud that's what they're there for yeah like they're like if when they hear the cheers and the gratification of someone saying job well done like yeah. that's that's ultimately what they're in it for yeah and then there's these other mother that will die if they don't play music like they will just fade away and they will die and i'm in that category and most of the people I've with are mm-hmm. in that category. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. it's not like a choice. It's, it even transcends vocation. It's just like, it's like my, my soul and my body needs this to exist. Otherwise I probably would have no function at all. I would just be sort of wandering around and, you know, just totally useless to society. But that's what makes sense when we're drawn to your music and it makes us feel this way. I was having this, this feeling yesterday. I was driving in my car with my 15-year-old, our 15-year-old, and I was playing the album and it got to lightning too. 
you know what you have when you make that. You know that moment when it's like, and you get drive, everything's driving that way. And yeah. You know what you have. You've created yeah. something that stirs up a desire to live, a desire to want more. Like, yeah. you know, that lyric, waiting for the light, wondering what the light will bring. Like, mm. f- man, you know, that only comes from that place you're talking about. Like, yeah. it's like live or die. Yeah, I remember when we were doing that, we finished, we finished cutting that. The second we finished cutting it, we were in El Paso and it was the election and it was exactly when we found out that Trump lost the election. And it was just like, we walked from that take and we, we had this like TV, like we had nailed into a tree outside because it was COVID and we had this like living room outside the whole time. Like literally with a with a flat screen TV like screwed, <laughs> onto a tree. screwed into a tree. <laughs> that like, was our living room. That's so meta modern. I can't deal. Yeah, it was hilarious. It was amazing. But yeah, it was so, so it was a pretty like potent emotional, emotional finishing that song enough to walk into what, what feels in that moment at least like some reprieve. Just a mo- moment of reprieve, yeah. but you know it's, it's like of course, you know, and, of course. And like regime was just to Jeremy like faster, faster, faster. It's not fast enough, faster. You know, it's like he plays fast. Play it fucking fast. He had like, to. Yeah. When we play that, I like. There's so much wind in that song too, like uh, breath. That at the end, I'm just like, I'm just like barely standing every time. It's one of my favorite collection of words in a chorus that you've ever created. The play on words there from lightning to light to light bring is mm-hmm. just. Um, it's emotional when you hear it. Um, I always wonder, like, how do you perform it even just to record because I'm getting the emotion I'm not in the room do you have to separate yourself in order to capture something to have some perspective to finish it to know that it can be released or do you have to get to that place where you're emotional do you get emotional when you perform these songs yeah I mean I cry every time I mean like I'm often crying in a song like this that what was in my head when I was singing that song was was um was all the Haitians at the border trying to get it into the U.S. who had taken a boat from Haiti to Brazil and then walked or taken a train all the way to the Mexican border, which is like, you want to talk about some biblical, like imagine, like just to find a better life for your family, like imagine what it would take to like the bravery and the, and the, and then to be met by like, I don't know. The governor of Texas can honestly, like, I've never hated, I don't hate a lot of people. I hate that motherfucker. That guy is like, you know, I don't even believe in hell, but if there's a hell, that motherfucker's going there. Like, just to, 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 to meet people and with, with the absolute absence of compassion, like these pretend Christian, like fake Christians, like, you should be ashamed of himself. And so what I was thinking, I was really like, don't quit on me. Like, that's sort of really what I was thinking about. Like, that's not necessarily what the song's about, but that's, that was what was in my head is like, what does it mean to not quit and to reach the, to reach the end and then to be turned back and to, you still can't quit because you still have your family. So then you're, you, you get sent back to where you, you started and you still can't give up because it, it's still your life and it's still your family and you're still fighting for survival. So. Well, that's, and, to, and to be in a situation where permission is still is still required. Yeah. It's just, how are we still here? 
Yeah. And some you win, some you lose. And like to be able to take the loss, like to me, the real grace is to be able to take the loss and still and and still keep on with it, you know. There's so much in this album that is searching for a deeper meaning because I, I feel like Arcade Fire was searching for meaning from day one, but you didn't really like what you found. You know, you've you, you've moved from community into politics, into social activism and philanthropy. You're an active band and you're an active person. And yet this is your most spiritually yearning album I think you've ever made. Is that fair to say? I mean, it's a... Like, what do we do next? Like, where is the next stop in this search for sort of better living and better learning if all those other systems that we've tried to change in the inside to some degree have let us down? I mean, I think, I do think... That's just me. I don't want to put words in your mouth. That's just kind of what I took from the album. Yeah, I mean, some of it has to do with the future. Not all, I mean, it's easy to interpret everything as being about the present. And I think there's an element of that. But I think you're like trying to pick up on smoke signals and... Like, to me, the end of the empire isn't about now. It's about the future. It's about what's coming. Um, I'm still waiting to wake up and check my phone and have see the stock market has finally crashed. I mean, it's just an inevitability. Um, this stuff is so cyclical, and it's like we're just printing money and pretending everything's okay. And, you know, but, like, you know, my grandfather, my grandfather, you know, lived, lived through the Depression and was a musician and, World War II and li lived through some pretty intense stuff. And so I think that, um, you know, I think this generation is up, up to the task as well. I'm, I mean, where a lot of my hope is, is we have an eight-year-old and he's just like, so the tools that he has compared to the tools that I had at that age are incredible. I see so, it in our kids as well. I'm yeah. glad that you said that. And you've yeah. mentioned family a few times in this conversation, which we never really talked in our early conversations about. And it makes sense when you become a family, you reflect upon your own family in a, in a different way. It's a pretty normal trade. One of the things that I've never asked you about, which really interests me, is that you're an Edwin III and you decide to name your son Edwin IV. And so the idea of family legacy the idea of maintaining a family legacy, and yet you're in a touring band, which normally equates to the desire to run and create your own identity. And do you know what I mean? There's, yeah. a, there's a little bit of a parallel that goes with sort of the search for independence and the search for art. And yet you, when you had a chance to deepen your roots, you did so in, in what would consider to be one of the most traditional ways. And I sort of wondered what sort of motivates that and what your relationship is to your family as you grow older, you know? Well, I mean... My grandfather um, was a boat builder, and he lived in Maine. My dad grew up on a boat yard in Maine, and you know, it's it's funny. It's like I feel like I feel like every generation we're we're so self centered that we always think like, oh, we're finally here to right all the wrongs of the past, and we're the generation that's going to do it. We finally figured it out, and like. Yeah. Like, get out the way, Grandpa. Guess what? Your kids will tell you that you failed soon enough. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it's like all of us were just like, well, thank God we're here. No. And like, you know, like, I really, I really deeply care about the environment and global warming. And my grandfather was much more politically conservative, but he used no fucking energy. None. Like, the way that he lived, he didn't. Like his carbon footprint was like negative a million. Like he, like he wore the same white t-shirt every day. He walked to work like 10 steps. He yeah. built boats out of wood, you know? So it's like, 
And, but I really care about the environment. Yeah, he wasn't you know an I mean? environmentalist. He was no, just he living. Was environmentalist. That's what his means, and he chose no, them. No, because yeah. what kind of monster would live the way that we live in modern America, like with the waste and it's like all this like corporate like pretend like oh we really care about every. It's like it's just a bunch of crap, you know. And so I think I I think that we have things to learn from from people. You know, like I learned a lot from my grandfather, even if I reject some of you know some of his. You know, we, we argued all the time. Um, we would, you know, he was a very, like, very intelligent. He went to Harvard. He was a very smart guy. And we would really get into it because he lived in 96. So, like, and he was with it. So, like, I was, like, a teenager. And I got to really hang out with him and mm. and be, like, challenge him about stuff. And he would challenge me. And I'm really grateful. I mean, both of my grandfathers lived quite old and were really with it. So, I I felt like I... I felt really blessed to have like, to like learn, actually be old enough to be able to ask some questions mm. and have them challenge me and me And have the maturity them. to be able to appreciate that experience as well. I mean, more oh, often than yeah. not, you're asking your parents about your grandparents and you're getting stories secondhand and yeah. the whole thing feels like it's a hand-me-down experience, yeah. you know? But if they hadn't made it that long, I don't think it would have happened. But my, like my grandfather, uh, Edwin, Edwin Farnham Butler Sr., in at ninety five, he went back to school and took a class on Islam. When he was ninety five, when he's ninety five years old, you know what I mean? Like he was, and that to me, it was like, wow, so cool. I was like, it, he was, he was like, I don't know anything about this. I'm curious, and I, I just, you know, it's something that I aspire to. Like I hope that I'm like, even if I'm really set in my ways, at some point, I hope. I hope it can break and I can sort of like think about, you know, open my world. And we do a lot of work in Haiti. And the first time we went to Haiti was with this Dr. Paul Farmer, who has started Partners in Health, who is mm -hmm. probably the greatest hero of my life. And he recently passed away um, in Rwanda. And um, his great hero was this Latin priest, um, Peruvian priest. And he wrote a book called, um, that said, we drink from our own wells. And it's a phrase that I think is like really echoed for me and has kind of gotten deeper and deeper the more I've thought about it. Just mm -hmm. the idea that, that we drink from our own wells. And so ultimately, whatever's in, <laughs> whatever's in there, that, that is your nourishment. That is what you have. So yeah, you're responsible if, for polluting your own water supply. No yeah, question about it. And, and we don't get to choose where we're born. We don't get to choose who our parents are. We don't get to choose what country we're born in, what language we speak. But, you know, it's like, but that's sort of what we're st stuck with. So it's like we sort of have to f try to f try to face it and, and try to get nourishment from it because that's, that's all the nourishment we have. Nourishment, that's the key. Y y you have n nourished us with this album and hopefully emerged from it feeling somewhat nourished yourself. And yet, you know, I think I can speak for everybody who has been a fan of the band from day one that the departure of Will wasn't the shocking part. Like, people come and go from things all the time. What was surprising was the timing. Because it's like you just finished what I would consider to be like, one of, if not, dare I say, my favorite Arcade Fire record. It sums up everything you've done so far from the electronic to the powerful performances of the band and the lyrics and we talked about it. I love it. People will love this album. And then to say, hey, you know, after two years of not touring or having that experience as a band or whatever, I'm going to go my, on my own way. 
So I'm just going to ask you straight up because we go way back. You know, what were the circumstances around that? Did it come as a shock to you? Did you know it was coming? Like, what what happened? I mean, it's... I love Will. I mean, he's he's my brother. Yeah. He's my only brother. Yeah. So it's... And he's always had interests that transcend music. You know, I think that he sort of followed his big brother into this band. It was his first job. Um, I can't really, you know, speak for him, but um, I... It's the... This pandemic was, um, he's got three young children and, you know, Regina and I are able to bring our child on the road, but I think that if I wasn't, you know, there's things way more important than music, you know? So, I, I mean. Than touring, perhaps. Because you just, just said you have to make music. No, I, yeah, but I mean, I'm not, my, my brother has his own path, you know what I mean? He, he took a year out in the middle of, to go back to school and he's, and you know, he's, he's, he's sort of done his own thing the whole time. And I think that there's things other than music that, that he has interest in. But I think fundamentally you only have one chance to like raise your family and to, and to kind of have, have that, have a a life with your family. And I I think it's a very extremely understandable. um, And, you know, it's easy just to get, uh, you know, I'm I'm proud of him for 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 doing his own thing. The whole band is my family, and there's family you're born with and family that you choose. And I think sometimes the family you choose can be just as big a thing because it's like love and life. All the it's not a straight line. So it's like um, I'm not really scared of any of it. I'm I'm really I feel really grateful to be able to play still and to be able to do shows and you know it's it's been it was really dark not not having access to that for me mm-hmm. like just you know i mean th- th- this band is my life you know so there's no uh, there's no out for me fortunately it also makes you, makes me wonder what a band is at this point to some degree i mean when you're young and you start out and you've got to like create this sort of like defined image you know take on the world you know four five six people three people it's us against the world we're going to do there's this, a lot you know? of people in the past of this band too that our band would not exist without that's exactly what i was like about to ha- say howard billerman yeah. who made funeral like who is our drummer like he he basically enabled us financially to be able to make funeral and and uh and the previous lineups and, and and the people playing with you now that when I see you perform live, I just see them as Arcade Fire, the yeah. additional players. I don't see so that's what I mean. Owen Pallet has played on every Arcade Fire record. Um, you know, my mom plays on this new record. On what song? Uh, End of the Empire wow. and and we. Wow. Yeah. Um, was that emotional for you? Having grown up and knowing that it yeah. was her heart that opened the door for you? Yeah, hell yeah. End of the Empire is four parts, and we had the th- first three parts, and it was already like six and a half minutes, and I, for some reason, I just knew that there was a fourth part to it. And I had this index card that said Sagittarius A, which is the, it's a black hole in the middle of our solar system. I read an article about this black hole. And I just had, a, had the card on my wall, and I would just walk by it. <clears throat> and towards the end of the, like, as soon as I was vaccinated and was able to travel, I went with my son to go visit my parents because I hadn't seen them in a long time. And I went back to their house in Maine and I brought my four track, my like cassette four track and I put it in the basement of their house and ran a bunch of cables up to the top floor. I felt like I was 15. It was hilarious. It was like exactly like the shit I was doing when I was 15. <laughs> and I was like, mom, like, 
working on the song and we would like play Sagittarius A together. And there was a couple other songs that like I, I did these like four track recordings of playing it with her. And it sort of helped me to, to, to work through it and to like, you mm. know, just to figure out what it is, you know. Is there anybody else that, that shows up on the record? I could be completely wrong. Excuse me if I get this wrong, but I feel like on Race and Religion, on Unconditional 2, toward the end, there's a voice that comes in that I don't recognize, and yet it sounds really familiar to me. Peter Gabriel. I knew it. Yeah. And I, I I had no knowledge of that, but yeah. I was like, how is that not Peter Gabriel? It's and Peter it, Gabriel. And it's Peter Gabriel. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he, he did a cover. We covered his um, Games Without Frontiers, and he did a cover of My Body's a Cage. Yeah. And, He's a, I mean, Regine, Peter Gabriel for Regine was a massive influence oh. as well. Um, I mean, and for me as well. But yeah. I think for Regine being Haitian and like a kind of predominantly white Quebecois milieu and hearing Peter Gabriel's music in the 80s and just hearing like yeah. African drums and yeah. something that connected to her yeah. family roots, I think was really profound. It was really hard to find anything like that in, in the 80s. It was just like, it's like almost like it didn't exist. So in my mother's current situation, which I've been open about in various conversations, so I don't want to be indulgent, but equally this is an important, I think this adds to the conversation. Um, she turns to dance, right? Because she has dementia. And so dancing and movement is a way for her to feel and express with in a calm way because words and thoughts aren't, her brain is not putting them together in the way mm -hmm. that she would want to. Whereas when she dances, no communication. And it's Peter Gabriel, man. It's so. Yeah. It's in your eyes. It's like that is, that just takes it there. I mean, that's the drum too. Because I think the drum is like at the heart of a lot of that music. It's mm -hmm. just like the, I mean, it's, it's literally language. And it's like some of the earliest language on, from, on the planet. And it's um, deep. It's some deep shit. No, <laughs> deep. Deep. Yeah. So we found out that your mom plays harp. Peter Gabriel adds vocals. Um, who are the friends of Infinite Talent show up to help you bring this album to life? I mean, we recorded um, with Nigel Godrich, um, which which was amazing. Like, you know, he just comes from this tradition of British engineering, which kind of goes all the way back to the Beatles. And he's like one of the, like just a G. Well, he's an innovator. He's an innovator, and yeah. yet, but never at the at the at the at the expense of the soul of the song, right? So, yeah. it's the guy who can help Tom York bring these analog synthesizers to spiritual life, right? But at the same time, he can capture lightning or we, and just make the most beautiful, organic, performance based. And what he did with Beck on his acoustic records to me is just timeless music. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I, I just think technically there's a, there's a, it's, it's bec becoming increasingly rare to record the way that we record. It's like, sometimes I feel like it's like 1972 and we didn't get the memo. We're still like <laughs> trying to do this really, but I mean, to my ear, it's just, it, there's just something using real sounds and mics and, and just like using space. And, um, did you watch Get Back? I did, yeah. So what was your primary takeaway from that? I mean, I could relate to everyone in that band. When you're the Beatles, it's like you can get so like burned out by how all the all the attention, all the pressure and everything that you can't even appreciate, you know. What's happening in the room. What's happening right in front of you. Paul's facing that level of 
that blank face reaction while he's writing songs that will move hundreds of millions of billions of people. Yeah. George is getting that reaction from Paul. But the, I mean, that's also like, you know, I don't, I don't know that anyone in my band's ever been like, that's a good song. Really? Ever. Never. Ever? Never. Seriously? No. No? No, that's not a thing. So how the f- do you finish these things if no one in your band <laughs> encourages you? Well, no, it's not that they don't encourage, but it's like, it's just like when you've, when you've been, when you're that close. <laughs> I'm so sorry when you cannot tell me you have never walked into a room with a song and, and, and played any one of these and, and no one's gone, wow, when? That's amazing. Not once. Oh, shit. Definitely not once. <laughs> no, not once. I mean, Regine, Regine and I are like often in the next room when the other person's writing. So it's like, you don't have to say it's good. Just if you run in the room then you know it's good. I mean, you're just waiting. I'm so sorry. That is still an emotionally repressive reaction to music. Like if I'm just going to run in the room, pick up an instrument and stop playing. The magical thing is when it's happening in the room and that you're playing a song and it's working, you don't have to fucking say anything. And in right. fact, if someone said, it's, it's really funny. It's like, I remember, um, it's like we were with my parents in Maine. It's a beautiful sunset. And my dad always wants to be like, would you look at this beautiful sunset? And, re- and my wife's like, shut the fuck up. I just want to look at the sunset. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't improve a sunset by saying how beautiful it is. Like when something's genuinely beautiful and, and the spirit is moving, like in, you know, like if someone plays a beautiful hymn in church, you know, it's like, you're not like, that was an amazing hymn. It's like, you just, you just accept it. You accept the gift of it. And, and So how do you apply that then? Serious question from coming from inside the same room now. How do you apply that to parenthood? Because... How do you not, like, I could not not encourage my kids. Um, don't tell them they're good at stuff. Um, I, I think you encourage them for the work they do. If, like, if they work really hard on something, you're like, you work really hard on that. Mm. But I think it's dangerous to start telling kids they're super talented and good looking and shit all the time because I, I think it doesn't end well. <laughs> but I, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. But, um, mm. I mean, I think that, I think we learn supposed to learn more from our kids than we teach them. I think it's a little bit inverted sometimes. Yeah. I think our job as parents is to not f- them up. <laughs> Facts. To like not break them, <laughs> not f- them up. Yeah. Like first do no harm. It's like the doctors kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're not going to make them smarter. You're not going to make them more talented, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, and there's some there's some really smart, amazing kids with some really dull parents, and there's some really dull parents with some really amazing kids, and <laughs> it's like some of it's just sort of like I don't even know. It's very mysterious. That's called Ned Flanders syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Oakley dokely. Oakley dokely do. Hey, Luckily, man. I got a good one because my my dude is like a constant source of inspiration. Just like he was such a big part of this record. Like mm. he's just like such an amazing artist in his own right and he's freaking eight years old but that's beautiful yeah he's 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 a dude just don't tell him he's great (laughs) yeah he's not listening to this (laughs) the album finishes with a song called we which has this really beautiful at least on the surface upbeat finishing touch which is like and i'm terrible at paraphrasing lyrics especially if i haven't lived with an album for a years but something to the effect of you know when it all ends can we do it all again mm-hmm. you don't mind explaining things to me so far you give me great insight into certain lyrical perspectives what do you mean by that i think the journey of the record is like the first half is really i almost imagine this character who's like get me the f- 
out of here. Get me off this planet. Get me out of my own skin. Get me away from myself. Um, like I don't want to be here. I don't, you know, and it's anxiety and it's depression and it's, it's, uh, it's heaviness. It's the weight of the world. And he looks at this, this black hole and it's like, well, maybe if I could get through that black hole, that would be far enough away. And when he gets there, he finds that it's himself and it's everyone he ever loved and the lives of his ancestors and it's everything. And there's, there's nothing to escape because it's all the same thing anyway. And so to me, the end is like, you know, the film is always, you know, stories and films are always building towards this big conclusion and then the credits roll. And to me, the sentiment is like, let's just fucking do it again. You know, like I just want to do it again with all of it, all the pain, all the loneliness, all the sadness, all the heartbreak. Like I just, I just want to do it again, do it over and over again. Mm -hmm. Just run it back. There's a song on here called Unconditional One. Look out, kid. I'd like to, I'd like to talk to you about that because um, it's part of the reason why we're talking today is like, this is the last time we're going to hear one song before they hear the entire body of work. Mm -hmm. Um, man, you pulled out the do do doos, which is great, but the song is like a, is a triumph for me, and um, and yet you you seem unafraid to to to, to lean into the, the catchier sensibility of yourself. You know, you do write pop songs, I think, um, when you want to. So so, where did the song sort of come from? A couple of years ago, um, it's really hard being in a band where everyone lives in a different fucking city. Yeah, but it's like it sort of happens sometimes as you you know we've been playing for 20 years so it's like at a certain point it's a byproduct of maturity man but it doesn't make the job any easier doesn't make the job any easier um jeremy was coming through town he was like i'm down to do some recording but i didn't have any songs written or anything like that and i was like well i don't want to waste you know if i have a couple days with my drummer i just certainly don't want to waste it so i took like maybe a hundred songs that i love and had jeremy just play like I would play them to him and have him sort of play his own version, play, like use use that as a jumping off point just mm -hmm. for different rhythms. And Your stuff songs like or other people's songs? Other people's songs. Just like, just hundreds and hundreds of songs. Like Soweto songs, like different Latin songs, like disco, uh, punk music. There's like some Nirvana. So there's different, different things where just like, I like the drums, you know? And, um, and I basically like, made like a almost like a rhythm box of jeremy like just playing hundreds and hundreds of different beats so i could actually instead of like writing to a drum machine i could actually write to my with my drummer yeah man you there. created a file of clearance free samples that your drummer made yeah but like hundreds and hundreds and but not not to use the samples but just to write with yeah, just yeah. so you, like it actually has a feel yeah and then so if i figured something out around that feel it wasn't like he had to learn how to do it. He did it. Yeah, so yeah, he yeah. like, his body had already done it before. So um, that one was like, this sort of like Soweto sort of feel, like sort of, but but Jeremy. So it's like a different, had a different thing. And I was just, I was really just sort of thinking about my son and the world that he's facing and how like, I was a very, very, very depressed kid particularly in high school i mean in a lot of my life in general i think that music is like a is like my medicine in a lot of ways um but 
I was trying to imagine the way that I'm wired just chemically and the, that I've dealt with in my life, having to deal with that now in this era of, of like, and not to mention now, but like 10 years from now, whenever the f- he's going to be dealing with it. And it was just like, man, he's going to need some, to have a thick skin and to just like really be able to like take a hit and just, you know, and have some just fortitude. And I don't know, I, I was just sort of thinking about that and just trying to sing, sing to him in the future or to his kids even, you know. Because I've had an experience of listening to my grandfather's music and just feeling like this connection to my grandfather's music. So I don't know, maybe it's for his kids. I don't, I don't even know. It's for, but just to have, to be able to listen to grandpa a hundred years from now and be like, it's all right to be sad. And it's all right to, you know, like there's not any way that you have to be. Um, and basically just the idea of, I mean, the idea of unconditional love, which is this impossible thing to achieve but but we do it naturally somehow is loving someone despite what they do or despite what job they have or how successful they are or whatever mm-hmm. it's just something that that supersedes it and it's something that I think we naturally have with our kids but it's I think it's something that we're supposed to have for people that we're not related to as well hmm. you had a really great conversation with Rick and uh, on his brilliant podcast on Broken Record, and you hinted it at more music. And obviously, I mean, you know, you're not going to come out of this. You already had songs going when you're going to quarantine. And like you said, you started writing and kept moving and kept creating. And so is there any sort of further clarity on that? I mean, this album is such a beautiful and complete body of work. Are the other songs kind of, because this almost feels like a classical piece to me or like a play, even the way that you've structured this. There's 11 songs, but it's broken up into seven movements, you know? Mm. And is this is this does this kind of format continue? Like, have you given it any thought as to what shape these other songs will take? Um, I think that I think that the arc of this particular project is long. So, I mean, some of the music stretches back twenty years ago, and some of it, I think, is twenty years from now. Wow, what's yeah. the oldest? Maybe not even literally, but what's the oldest ideation on this album? On well, I mean, I'm talking more about other stuff we've recorded. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there's a couple. I think every record, there's older stuff. Like even like on Funeral Tunnels, I started working on five years before, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. half a decade before we started working on Funeral. Like I had the like whispers of it, you know. And it, so it takes it takes a long time. It, it becomes, it's more pronounced. Like earlier in your career, you everyone assumes everything just fully formed and just sort of popped up. But that was like just years, you know, years mm. of work. Mm. And and so I think that on every record, there's there's songs that you write that that aren't supposed to be on that one that are sort of supposed to be on the next one. Mm. So, I mean, it's definitely some parts of Lightning. Um, I think the first part of Lightning is, is an old, pretty old thing that Regine Melody... But there's some other shit that's like even predates um, me moving to Montreal and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. So is the idea, you know, obviously you have shows and and things that you want to go and do to support this and you are one of the greatest live bands on the planet, no question about it. Taking everything we've discussed into account, like the environment, 
living in different parts of the world, the desire to raise families, have lives, your need to play songs and continue to write songs. Um, what is your attitude to touring now, considering where you started, which was, I felt like, a band taking on the world and every opportunity was a, was, was a real one? I can't fucking wait to tour. I mean, it's been, like, how many years off do you need in life? Like, like I'm ready to burn it, burn it down. I feel like music is, there is an athletic aspect to it as well. It's like, you know, it's, um, I was really relating a lot, like watching LeBron play this year and he's, he's a little bit younger than me, but he's, you know, 37. I, I took my son to watch him play and watch him put up 37 points. And you're just like, it is possible. You know what I mean? Like it, it's possible. Um, we've taken care of ourselves and we, you know, you know, none of us have any like drug problems or, you know, I think there's a lot of shit that brings bands down. Mm, I think, mm. I feel like we're really, like, um, Dan Beckner, who's been playing with the band, who's from Wolf Parade, who's, like, one of my hero songwriters and was in the band, like, the first time he played in New York was was in the band. And, and so, and Paul Beaubrun, who's, like, whose parents are basically, like, the, like, Bob Marley, Bob of Haiti is just, like, like the, the energy in the band is fire right now um it sort of reminds me like my favorite era of the talking heads was like like there's a, a film of them playing in rome where the um the the keyboard player from parliament was in the band like they where they kind of filled out the band and yeah. there's like just these fucking heavy hitters plus the talking heads and like it sort of feels like that a little bit where like I'm like the fifth best guitar player in the band right now. And it feels like amazing. Like, like our percussionist is like the best guitar player in the band. I'm just like, let's go. Um, so I don't know. Like I'm, I'm really like, but also it's like, you know, with the situation in Europe, it's like, it's, it's, it's like a really tenuous, like, it's a really, like, I'm not taking anything for granted. I'm yeah. not, I'm not like, you know, we have stuff in the calendar, but I'm not assuming that any of these calendars mean anything. Yeah. Um, but every time we step on stage, I it's with like full energy and gratitude. I think we'll just burn it till the wheels fall off, to be honest. You have the album for it. I mean, yeah. th th this album is going to bring so much life to the already wonderful and well-loved songs you have. And yeah. it just really is the perfect, the perfect return. I'm not like scared to play. And I don't know how long that lasts. As long as the knee lasts. No, I mean, you don't need your knee to play guitar. Screw that. I was looking for a nice little, little wrap-up at the end. <laughs> Come on, you've been doing radio interviews long enough to know when I'm looking for a segue. <laughs> Butler? <laughs> as long as the knee lasts, it's a great segue. Thanks to Wynn. Thanks to Arcade Fire for an incredible album. You can stream it now on Apple Music. And thank you for checking out another conversation on the interview series. Love to do them. Love that you listen. Take care.